Amen. Freedom. Um, I even feel weird saying it like that. Freedom. I think, because every time I hear that word, I don't know about you, every time I hear that word freedom, I go right back to Braveheart, right? You know? Freedom! You know, and um, that movie's gotten me in so much trouble over the years. Uh, and it was really the movie's fault, right? Um, so, this morning, we're going to be looking at different people's same mission, and we're going we're gonna to look at, so last week we talked about how Paul went through a time of, um, he went through a time of training, he pulled away for a season, and went through some training, and then after, after he pulled away and kind of got his focus, he goes right back in to serve, he gets, he gets his focus right to start serving, and so this morning as we talk about um, how do you serve? Where do you serve and who do you serve? And, and we're going to look at kind of a little bit of what Paul has to say in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're going to walk through those concepts, those ideas a little bit. And so um, I hope that makes sense. Now, I'm going to take liberty at being the pastor and the guy that's up here right now. And so I'm going to let you guys know, especially since she's not in the room, today is Lucinda's birthday. Today is my wife, my prime rib, right? You know? <laughs> My sweet thing, it's a birthday. So when y'all see my sweet thing, my prime rib, y'all say, happy birthday, right? Um, and hopefully that makes me look good too. So um, <laughs> not that I'm in the doghouse, but y'all know what I'm saying, right? So, um, so as we jump into this passage this morning, we're going to jump right in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preached among the Gentiles. But privately to those recognized as leader, leaders, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Now, from those who recognize, from those recognized as important what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter for the circumcised, since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me, Barnabas, agree to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. So, first part. Paul wanted to confirm the message, right? So I want you to think about this. Paul is going through, he's still going through a transformation, right? We, as believers in Christ, are still being transformed. We're still going through a transformation. What Paul wants to make sure he's got locked down is the message, the gospel. He wants to make sure that he had not been running in vain. Let me read that for you again. 
Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. So what he's saying is, is that I want to confirm the message. I want to make sure that I'm preaching the right thing. I want to make sure that what I'm preaching, what I'm teaching is on point. Now, he knew that he had, he knew he, was, he knew he was in a good place, but he wanted that extra sense of confirmation, validation, affirmation from the other apostles. So he goes up and he tells them this good news. He tells them this message that he's been preaching. And so as he comes to them to tell them this message, um, the idea is that he is wanting to make sure that he says the right thing. How many of you guys, you don't have to raise your hand. Well, let me rephrase. So many of us, when I talk to people about why they don't share the gospel regularly, why they don't go out and tell people the good news of Jesus Christ, many people tell me it's because I don't know what to say. Or I'm afraid they're going to ask me a question that I won't know the answer to. Or I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to say something, but I'm going to say the wrong thing. Paul is basically saying, hey, look, I've been doing ministry. He's been, I mean, it's 14 years. Paul's been preaching this message for a while. Paul's been taking this message to the Gentiles, planting churches and everything else. He's wanting to make sure he's on point. He's saying the right thing. Am I teaching the right thing? And on top of that, this also connects those churches. This connects the Gentile church and the Jewish church. Think about this. Out of the 12 apostles, out of the 12 apostles before Paul, those were all preaching the good news to Jews, right? So when you think about the world population, the Jewish population, I don't know the percentage, or especially at that time, I don't know what the percentage was, but it's a small percentage. So you've got 12 guys, 12 apostles preaching the good news to a very small group of people, which is great. But then you have Paul and Barnabas and Titus, and Timothy. But Paul's the only one who was, a, who was a, an apostle. And Paul is the one reaching the Gentiles. Paul's the one spreading the gospel among those who are pagan, right? So I want you to think back also to the transition that Paul would have had to go through. During that time, he's taking the time to, he's, all of a sudden, he's gone from being this persecutor of the church one who was persecuting Christians, one who was out to get Christians, trying to stop this movement of God. He was trying to shut down this movement of God, and he has the Damascus Road experience. For those of you who aren't familiar with that, Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, to lock up Christians and put them to death. Paul was on his way to try to shut down the church, and Jesus appears to him. He falls off his horse, he says, or donkey, or whatever it says in the text. He falls down. He's blinded by the light. He hears the Lord. The, the Lord directly confronts him. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus calls him out of that and gives him a ministry to the, to the Gentiles. As a Jew, as a Pharisee, a leader, a lawyer among Jews. This would have been earth shattering for him not only not only are you going to start preaching the gospel that you've been persecuting but you're going to preach it to unclean people you're going to preach the gospel to people who are not jews wow i mean only jesus could do that 
Only Jesus can make that kind of shift in the life of somebody. Only Jesus can take whatever direction you're going, whatever, whatever, however, how far you are away from God or how far you're running away from God or pursuing other things, there is absolutely nothing, nothing that God can't turn around. I mean, I don't need to give you examples. I don't. Think of the worst person you can think of. Hopefully it's not me. Um, when you think of the worst person you can think of, Jesus can save them. The leader of ISIS, who has murdered many, many Christians, Jesus can turn their life around. To the groups in, in Nigeria who are slaughtering Christians and destroying churches, God, through the Holy Spirit, can grab a hold of their hearts and turn their lives around, and they become the leader for Jesus Christ in Nigeria. It can happen. So here's the point. You're not slaughtering Christians. You're not beheading people in, in, in ISIS-held territory or destroying churches in Nigeria. But what are you doing with what you have in Christ now? He's called you. He's given you every opportunity to train and prepare. The question is, are we being faithful? In this instance, Paul is being faithful. Paul is being faithful to deliver the message of the gospel and to make sure that it's the same message of the gospel that the Jews are hearing. And so he's connecting those two. And there's one little tidbit that you probably would have missed in the text but this is crucial to discipleship. And I'm, I'm going to hammer this one. I love it. He says in verse 1, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. When you see these things where he says, and I, and I took Titus along also, or I took Barnabas with me, or I took Timothy, or I took whoever, here's the point. Ministry is not taught, it's caught. I can I could teach a Wednesday night class on preaching, right? I could teach you the, as as little as I know, I could teach you about preaching, right? The little bit that I know, I could teach you. But if you don't get up here and do it, you'll never learn it. Right? I can teach you about evangelism. I can teach you a great presentation on how to tell people about Jesus. If you never use it, you will you won't get any good at it, right? That's like there's people like, <laughs> that's like those people who basically have, I don't know, I'm not going to use that example. Anyway, because <laughs> it really could have gone either way. So I just decided to be safe on that one. Um, so here's my point is this, is that you've got to use it. And so when Paul says that he brought, he brought Titus along with him, when Paul brought Titus along with him, it's just like this. There are many of you in this church who have said, hey, I'm going to do a hospital visit. Do you want to ride with me? Hey, I'm going to grab coffee. Do you want to come sit with me? Hey, let's go visit for a little bit. I'm going to go visit this person or I've got this meeting. Come along with me. The reason I do that is because I can't pour. This is not how I pour into you, right? This is how I poke you a little bit. I motivate you, right? I get you hyped up. And then we go out and do ministry. But the way that I really train you, and I can't do this for everybody, but the way that I really train you is when I say, hey, come with me. Let's go do this together. 
And you can do this for other people. It's when you say to somebody else, and I'm claiming this one in the Lord, okay? If I say, hey, let's go fishing, it's discipleship, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about Jesus while we fish, right? It counts, right? And so my point is this, is it's living life together. It's when we do things together. It's when, when I sit in my life group on Thursday night with those people and they tell me about their lives and they pour their hearts out to me and they pour their hearts out to each other and I see them loving and taking care of each other. Paul brought Titus along so that Titus could see the other apostles and he could learn preaching and leadership and ministry from Paul. And so the way that we do this, it isn't by me telling you, hey, here would be a really good book for you to read. Now, you may grab some great principles from that book. It may be a great book for you to read. But the way that we learn to do ministry is by serving and bringing people along with us. Trust me, I, I'm an extrovert, right? Shocker. Um, I love to be around people. I love this. Where there's other people who would get exhausted preaching, this just revs me up. I love it, right? But I want my alone time too. I need my downtime, and you do too. But sometimes we've got to be intentional. Be intentional about bringing people along with you. I cannot overstate this enough. There was a professor, there was a professor that I really looked up to in seminary. He was one of my, I mean, like if this guy would have taught a class on parking lot safety, I would have taken it, you know? Because this guy just motivated me. Like, he'd make you want to take on hell with a water pistol. I mean, he was just, you know, he was awesome. I love this guy, right? But he would, what he would do is, and he did this for me a couple times. He would say, hey, Will, I'm going to preach at this church for a revival. Do you want to come with me? Oh, yeah. And so I went along with him. And he would just talk about, he would talk about leadership and preaching and, and evangelism and discipleship. And, he would, and I would just soak it up like a sponge. What I'm saying is this, is that as we seek to serve and love each other, don't miss this point. Bring somebody along with you. Bring somebody with you. Invite them along with you. As you seek to be obedient to the Lord, as you seek to serve, when you want to go prayer walk your community, feel free to note that. When you go prayer walk your community, take somebody with you. When you go out to share the gospel, take somebody with you. Take somebody with you. Help them grow through your example. Even in the smallest things, take somebody with you. Enslaved. So we see in verses 3 to 5, But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek, this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. It is crucial. Preserved. We have to preserve the truth of the gospel. Back in the early 1800s, there was a guy who said he found some golden plates in a field. And apparently one other guy saw these golden plates. They were, in a, they were in a language that no one could speak. This dude put a rock in a hat and stuck his face in it. And that's how he interpreted these golden plates. That led to modern day Mormonism. Where they twist the gospel. 
They, use, they talk about sin, heaven, hell, Jesus, but it is not the Jesus of the Bible. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. My, my point is this, is that they have, so this guy twisted the gospel. We have had people inside the church. We have had people inside the church. There was another church many moons ago who said, who said, if you have sinned, you can pay this amount of money to the church and the priest will absolve you of your sins. You can pay for your sins in cash. That was the, that was the Catholic church before the Reformation. There are so, so many examples where the gospel has been twisted by corrupt men, right? My point is this, we have to know the truth in order to defend and preserve it. This is not a matter of saying, I'm right and you're wrong. This is not a matter of saying, I'm good, you're bad. This is not a matter of putting us above anybody else. This is a matter of us saying, we will know the gospel so well, so well, that when we get presented with anything that does not look or sound like the truth, we will recognize it and squash it. Now, here's the thing. We have a tendency to villainize people who do not believe like us or, or live like us or look like us or whatever. Let me tell you this. If you come across a Mormon brother or sister, if you come across a Mormon who, who does not believe what we believe and, and who believes that, I don't even need to get into Mormon theology right now, but they believe something contrary to what the Bible teaches. Our job is to love them to Jesus, not judge them. Not beat them down, not make them feel bad or stupid or whatever. It's not, our job is not to win an argument, right? We don't have to win the argument. Jesus is going to win the argument. Our job is to give them the truth and love them to Jesus. That's it, right? So what I don't want to happen, and I've seen this happen in so many churches. I've seen so many churches who get excited about apologetics, defending the faith, that they go out and they argue with everybody. I don't need to argue. I've already won because Jesus won it for me. And so when I take the gospel and I share it to people and I live the gospel and I love people in the gospel, we see lives changed. And in the end, I don't have to win an argument. I'm not going to get a gold star in heaven because I beat somebody in an argument or I won. Because here's what happens far too often, folks. We set out to win an argument, and we win, but we lost the person. We win the argument, but we lost the person. Speak the truth of Jesus Christ in love. Defend the faith, but love people graciously to the Lord. Okay? And so in this passage, so Paul goes to Jerusalem. He's talking to these guys about what he teaches and what he preaches. Titus is a Greek. He's uncircumcised. So these Jewish believers are like, hey, man, if you're really a Christian, if you're really a part of us, you have to get circumcised. That's not cool. Um, and so Titus is kind of like, well, what do I do with this? Where do I go with this? And so now all of a sudden, Titus is, is kind of, he gets defended by Paul. Paul comes to his rescue and says, uh-uh, that's, that's not what grace is. Grace is not Jesus plus this, 
right? You aren't saved because of what you do. You aren't saved because you're good enough. You aren't saved because, see, this is it, man. Let, let, me, let me throw this out here to you. I've heard people say it's not about religion, it's about relationship, which sounds good, right? But let me define that for you. Here's why it's not about religion. Religion is about what you do to earn God's grace. In that sense, it is definitely not about religion because we cannot earn God's grace. There's nothing you can do to earn God's grace. There is nothing you can do to make him love you more, and there's nothing that you have done that will ever make him love you less. Marinate on that. So here's my point. Religion is about what you do to earn God's grace. Relationship is the fact that Because he loved you, he sent his son to die for you. Relationship is he knew you before time began. Relationship is he knows you more intimately than you know yourself. He knows every hair on your head. He knows your biggest, deepest, darkest, ugliest secret. He knows that thing about you that you would never tell anybody else and you are terrified that it would get out. And he still loves you. And he still sent his son to die for you. As his son was being nailed to a tree and giving up his life, pouring out his blood for your forgiveness and my forgiveness. He's not surprised by the ugliness in your soul. And the the thing is, that's relationship. That's his unconditional love. My Wednesday night crew, they know the word chesed. His unconditional love, his steadfast love, his faithful love, his loving kindness. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. It's God's faithful, unconditional, steadfast love. That is what this relationship is built on. We cannot build this relationship towards God. God opened the relationship up to us by making himself accessible to us through Jesus Christ. Relationship is trying to earn your way to God. Relationship is he earned, he bought our relationship with him. He paid for it. He paid for the sin that we committed so that we could have relationship with him. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what baggage or whatever you bring to the table, God's grace is greater. That's it. That's what it all boils down to. And so, so in that, don't be enslaved. Don't be enslaved by false doctrine. Don't be enslaved by false teaching. And so when we talk about false teaching, false doctrine, being enslaved, the, the, the thing that we battle, our greatest weapon in this battle is truth. Is the truth. And we live in a world, we live in a world that tells us that truth is relative. What's your truth? Go live your truth. What kind of nonsense is that? You got that off a bubblegum wrapper. Go live your truth. Are you kidding me? Listen, you need to turn Oprah off, right? And turn God on. Pick up your Bible. Live your truth. So here's my point. We say that truth is relative. So let me give you an example. If truth is relative, 
then what's right for me is right for me, and what's right for you is right for you. And if it's right for me, you can't judge me. And if it's right for you, I can't judge you, right? Did you follow that? Okay, so if it's right for me, it's right for me. And if it's right for you, it's right for you. And we can't judge each other. So if, I, if it's right for me, I walk up to Hunter and I say, Hunter, this is right for me. Walk out! And I smack Hunter across the face. Hunter shouldn't get mad, right? He shouldn't get mad at me. He shouldn't swing on me, right? Because it was right for me. That was my truth, you know? And so, and then Hunter said, you can't call the cops. That was my truth. That was right for me. Felt good, you know? So here's my point. What's right for me is right for me. And what's right for you is right for you is a big load of you know what. Here's my point. Truth is not relative. Truth is not relative, right? We look at how truth, society and culture, those are relative. Society and culture, they're constantly shifting and changing. But truth never changes. The truth of God's word never changes. And let's be honest, brothers and sisters, let's be honest on this. What you think and what you believe about the Word of God will largely determine how you live out there and how you think about truth. If this is the Word of God, then you will say, homosexuality is wrong. But if this Word is true, you will love the homosexual to truth. You will love them with grace and mercy. If the word of God is true, then as God's people, we should should hate sin. But we should hate sin that is most vile in us. We should should seek to to repent and, and get away from the sin which is in us. More than we seek to judge other people outside the church. Our role is to love and minister to people without compromising the truth. And those things are not divergent. We can live out the truth and love people to God. Let me tell you this. You compromise the truth. You cannot love people to Jesus. Because if sin is sin, you compromise what we call sin to make other people feel good. They will still be judged by God for that sin. The best thing I can do for you is to be 100% honest with you. You go into a doctor's office and you're like, hey, I've got this lump sticking out of my neck. And he says, ah, not a big deal. You know, how do you feel about your lump? What's your truth about your lump? Well, I call it Tommy Tumor. You know, really? That's cute, right? Just put some blush on it and have a good day, right? That's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. Tommy Tumor's going to kill you, right? So here's my point. Sin, sin is worse than any cancer. Sin is worse than any, any disease. Sin is worse than anything that we have ever faced, and we all face it, and we've all faced it since Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And here's my point. We have to be honest. That doctor should look that person in the face and say, you've got cancer, now let's beat it. In the same way, 
We should look at people who don't know Jesus with grace, mercy, love, and compassion, real compassion, and look at them and say, you've got a problem. You've got a problem, and it's called sin. But there is a cure. There is an eternal cure, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he, he, he will freely give you of his grace. He will freely love you unconditionally, no matter what you've done. No matter what's in Tommy Toomer, he's going to love you through it. No matter what darkness lurks in your heart, no matter what baggage you carry, he will love you. And, and, and it's, it's not, he won't just love you. He will give you a life of purpose and meaning. That you can go out and live out the gospel and change the world. Your life can be so much more than your job. Your life can be so much more than your hobbies. Your life can have purpose and meaning and literally change the world. When we live a life submitted to a God who has a holy mission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And this same God tells us, and I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. We have to defend that truth. We have to live that truth. And part of us living that truth and defending that truth is realizing that it is absolute and it never changes. And it also means that we have to look inside of ourselves. And when we've sinned, when we've compromised, when we've fallen short, we know that we can crawl into the lap of God and say, Abba, Father, please forgive me. I have fallen short. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for still loving me as your child in spite of my sin. Because you are saved. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins, you are saved. And nothing can take that away from you. And so as we see this idea of we learn, we grow, we confirm that the message is true, we take other people along with us to do it, we are not enslaved by sin, there is absolute truth, truth is not relative, and we will live out the truth of God. And then verses 6 through 10. Now, from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the, to the circumcised was also at work at me, was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. Paul is the king of run-on sentences. Um, so, so Peter, Peter was called specifically to take the message of the gospel of good news. He was, he was, he was specifically called to take that message to the Jews. Paul was specifically called to take this message of the good news to the Gentiles. Who are you called to take this message to? 
Who's your circle of influence? Let me give you an example from my own life. I'm really excited about this, and if you've sat down and talked to me, like literally in the last week or so, you've probably heard this. So I've been playing basketball, right? I know I look like a basketball player. Um, And so I've been playing basketball on Fridays with these guys at Clayton Fitness. I love it. I love it. If I'm on a treadmill, I will literally watch every second tick off of that clock. I hate it. It is torture. If I'm on the elliptical, it's the same way. The only way I can get get away from it is watch something on Netflix, right? So I hate the elliptical. I hate the treadmill. But if you put a ball and an ounce of competition, I will will kill myself trying to play this game, right? I love it. And, and And so basketball is my jam. I get in there. I have so much fun. And the guys that I get in there and play with, so it's funny. The first day I go out there and play with them, the first day I get out there and go out there and play with them, I didn't tell them I was a pastor right away. And, and we're, we're playing, and one of the guys, I said, so what do you do? And he tells me about his job, where he works, and all this other stuff. He goes, where do you work? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, man, I wish you'd have told me that three cuss words ago. <laughs> uh, and, and I was like, hey, man, be you. Be you. I'm not worried about that. Let's just, let's just let's talk it up. Let's have a good time. And so, man, we played more basketballs. For the last three weeks, I've been playing with these guys. And I haven't mentioned that I was a pastor again. And so this last week, I was playing, and I, I somehow, by the grace of God, made a good play. And one of the guys goes, oh, snap, Pastor Dunn took you to church, you know? <laughs> and I was like, all right, all right. My, then I gave me a nickname, Pastor. All right, I'm good, you know? And so my thing is, though, is, man, I am praying for those guys. I am praying. That's my circle. That's, more, that's one of my circles. I am praying for and we're going. They're going to get saved. They're going to get baptized. And we're only going to need about that much water in the baptistry because they're big dudes. And so, so, like, my point is, is that we have our circles. You have your circles. So I was telling Lehman about this today. And, and Lehman said, you know, I've got some guys that I play golf with, and I've been sharing the gospel with them. Who's your circle? Who's your circle? Maybe it's your guys at work and you guys are close and and you can talk to those guys about Jesus and they'll listen. Maybe you can live out the gospel in front of them and they'll get it. Maybe God has put it on your heart to the guys that you play cards with or you you watch football with or you're whatever. Maybe that's your circle and God puts those people on your heart and you're praying obediently, passionately for those people to get saved. You're praying for an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. You're praying for a person of peace. If you don't know what that is, go back and read Luke chapter 10. You're praying for a person of peace that that God would just give you one person, that this person will get saved and then they'll help you reach everybody else. We all have our circles. Peter was called to to the Jews. Paul was called to the Gentiles. Who are you called to? Is it your neighborhood? Has God given you a heart for your neighborhood? Do you need to be walking through the streets of your neighborhood praying for the houses? Praying for the people who live in those houses? Do you need to go and and share your testimony with the guys you watch football with? Do you need the ladies, the the ladies that you do lady stuff with? Do 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 you need to share your testimony with them? Let's be honest, I'd have had to make something up. I don't know what y'all do. Um, so, you know, would you have, would you, would you, do you, need to, do you need to ask them if you can pray for them? Who's your circle? 
Who's your circle? Who has God given you? Who are the people that God has put into your life that don't know Jesus that you can reach? You've already got a relationship. Guys, that's it. That's it. It's about being faithful. It's about taking the good news of Jesus Christ out into the world. We talk about it every week. We talk about it every week, and, and I'm hearing reports. I'm hearing stories of people saying, hey, I shared the gospel with this person, or I'm, I'm working on this person, or I'm praying for this person, and keep it up. Keep doing that. Keep pushing. Keep fighting for the sake of the gospel. Because it's not just for the sake of the gospel. It's that they, 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 the Holy Spirit would work in them, and that they would give their lives to Jesus Christ. I'm not worried about growing this church. I'm worried about growing the kingdom. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Would you commit today? Would you commit today to finding your circle and to really praying for your circle? Commit to pray for those people. Commit to pray them to Jesus. Commit to pray for opportunities to share your story of how you got saved. Commit to pray for opportunities to love them and serve them. Commit to pray for, for times that you can be there for them when they need somebody. Commit to pray for them until they meet Jesus. Would you pray that God would give you a heart for somebody? This morning as we go into a time of to a time of invitation. I, I, I want you to... Three things. One, we talk about the truth and how truth is absolute. Absolutely it is. So according to God's truth, is there a sin issue in your life? Is there something in your life that does not meet up with the truth of God's word that needs to change? An attitude in your heart, a sin that you're actively doing, is there something in your life that needs to change because it doesn't meet up with the truth of God's word? If that's the case, I want you to come forward and give that up to the Lord. If you want to pray with me, let's pray. Let's do business with the Lord. So that we can say we are doing our level best, our very best to live out the truth. Not so that we can judge others, but as a faithful servant, we can go out and serve and love others to Jesus. That's number one. Get right with the Lord if you're not. Number two is that we would find that circle we would find that group of people that the Lord would lay them on your heart, that the Lord would burden your heart to pray for these people and to love these people and serve these people. That you can show them the love of Jesus, that they might come to know him through your example, that God would open doors for you to tell him about him. This morning, I want to invite you, if you need to come up here in an act of submission and bow the knee to the Lord and say, God, give me someone, give me a group, open my eyes to the lostness around me that I could serve them and love them and live out the gospel in front of them for your name's sake and for your glory, then maybe that's today. Maybe that's you. What if? Dream. What if, church? What if we all found our circles? What if we all prayed? What if we all sought? What if we all went and loved and served? Can you imagine a wave of the Holy Spirit sweeping across Clayton? 
And we could be a part of that because we prayed, because we lived out the gospel. Pray for your circle today. And the third is this. If you've never experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, if you've never been saved, if you've never given your life to him, if you've never repented of your sins and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, make today that day. If the Holy Spirit is calling you to salvation, then let's have a talk. If you need to become a new creation, you need to let that baggage go. You need to, to let go of the guilt and the shame and the sin. And become a new person in Jesus Christ. Let today be that day. You came in here under the bondage of sin. But you can walk out in the freedom of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to do the same. If you need to get saved, let's talk. If you need to get right, let's talk. Or talk to him. It's more important. But pray for your circle. Let's pray. Dear Jesus.